Good morning. Turn in your copy of God's Word to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, we will be finishing up the book this morning as we look at verses 22 through 25. So if you will stand with me in honor of the reading of the word of God. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 22 through 25. The author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Pray that you will help us to be attentive to it this morning, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would use even this passage to convict us of sin, to teach us and train us in righteousness, and draw us to Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. All good things must finally come to an end. Two years from September of 2021 to today, 46 sermons, and we've completed our journey through the book of Hebrews. And now we have to say farewell. But how do we say farewell to a book like this? Today we come to the final four verses of the letter, which are a farewell from the author to his readers. These verses can be treated in a couple of ways. Since last week's passage, verses 20 and 21, are are really the formal ending to the book, that magnificent benediction prayer, some are tempted to simply skim over these last four verses. It's a typical greeting. Paul includes greetings like this, of of various links at the end of most of his letters. Peter sends a greeting at the end of 1 Peter. John sends greetings at the end of 2 and 3 John. Uh, Nothing new is really added here, so uh, this passage, these greetings, could just be tagged on to verses 20 and 21 and be done. Obviously, I didn't take that approach. Last week, I wanted us to to focus all of our attention on that fantastic benediction, so I I didn't want to simply tag these four verses onto that passage that we were studying. The other way we can treat these verses is by giving them the attention that they deserve, and that's what we're going to do this morning. Yes, this passage is a final greeting, and yes, there is a, a personal historical situation that we're not a part of. So, for instance, those who come from Italy, I hate to to tell you, are not sending you greetings. 
However, that, that doesn't mean that we can't learn anything from this passage. It doesn't mean that there aren't things that these verses can remind us of, some, some very important truths that, that we need to, to take with us as we close this book. The time given to these verses varies in commentaries. John Owen spends five pages on them, which was actually surprisingly short for John Owen. I actually was surprised that it was only five pages. Uh, while another commentator, uh, a more modern commentator, uh, Robert Paul Martin, uh, he only had one short paragraph. What I want to do this morning in these final four verses is to bring to your attention three final words of farewell that we can take with us as we, as we wrap up this book, as we wrap up everything that um, we've learned over the last two years in, in this magnificent letter, just three words of farewell so that we can, we can leave meditating upon the truths of, of these scriptures we're not introduced to any new theological information in this passage, but as we come to the end of, of this letter, we're left with some things to think about, and that, that's really what I want to do for us this morning, is, is look at these final greetings and see these three final words of farewell so that we'll remember this book, that we will remember all that has been said here so that the purpose of this book will be fulfilled in the life of the saints at Christ Fellowship Church. And the purpose is that you would persevere in the faith to the very end. So this morning as we look at verses 22 through 25, three words of farewell. Three words of farewell. Heed, cherish, abide. Heed, cherish, abide. Three final words of farewell. Heed the exhortation. Cherish the church. Abide in grace. That's what I want us to, to see this morning. So let's look at our passage as we look again at verse 22. And the word of farewell to us is heed the exhortation. Heed the exhortation. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. You might hear that and chuckle a little bit. This book is anything but brief. Philemon, that's brief. Uh, second and third John, those are brief. But the book of Hebrews, maybe not what we would consider brief. But, but really, if you compare Hebrews with other books of the New Testament, it is relatively brief. Um, it's, it's not particularly long. It's certainly shorter than Romans or 1 Corinthians or Revelation. Uh, we've only been uh, in the book of Hebrews for 46 sermons. I, I don't want to scare you, but Jay's going to preach slightly longer when he starts the book of Romans. Um, it really only takes 45 minutes to, to read this book. Um, and he's, he's actually refrained from further detail at, at several points. Chapter 5, verse 11, he says about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. 
Chapter 9, verse 5, uh, as he's speaking about the tabernacle and the, the things that are in the tabernacle, he says, above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Chapter 11, verse 32, as he's, as he's listing all these great heroes of the faith, he, he says, what more shall we say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets. The point is that this book is... It's, it hasn't been unmanageable. At every turn, he's been aware of the limitations of his audience, and he hasn't burdened them beyond what they could bear. At every turn, he's reminded that, that there's limits to their attention. There's limits to the things that they can handle. And so he's, he's been very conscious of that. The only reason that we might think that this book is too long is that we don't esteem it as highly as we ought We've got other things that we'd rather be doing. The reason why we don't read this book more often is that we're too busy with worldly things. But there's simply no excuse because the, the apostle has only written to us briefly. And what has he written briefly? He's briefly written a word of exhortation. Well, that's an interesting phrase. And it's a phrase that's used in Acts chapter 13, verse 15, where Paul and Barnabas are sitting in the synagogue and they are invited to give a teaching or a sermon or a word, as the ESV says, of encouragement. It's the same phrase that we find here in verse 22. They're invited to stand up and give a word of exhortation. Um, it's, it's a sermon. It's a homily. It's a, it's a spoken message. The book of Hebrews, it isn't a typical New Testament letter. There's, there's no introductory greeting. That's why we don't know who the author is with 100% certainty. Um, the transitions through the book are very smooth. He easily flows from one topic to another. He, he expounds on specific passages of Scripture. He, he, he will quote a passage of Scripture, and then he'll spend a lot of time explaining it. It reads more like a sermon. And that's what he says it is. That, that's what he writes here. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my sermon. Commentator Peter O'Brien, he says, our author wishes to convey the impression that he is present in the assembly and actually delivering his sermon to them. As the letter is being read publicly to the church, the author wants them to hear it like a sermon. He, he wants it to be this verbal message to the people, even though he's absent. And, and this reminds us again that, that this book isn't filled with cold, abstract theology. The author meant to impress upon his readers not just, not just theology to fill their brains with, but he wants to impress upon them the absolute necessity of believing and living in accordance with the truths that he has presented. You can't simply read the book of Hebrews as a historical document. You can't simply read it as a, an interesting piece of, of literature. You're being called upon not simply to, to think about things. You're you're being called upon to believe it. Not just here, but here. And so he appeals to them to listen. 
the same word was used a few verses earlier in verse 19 where the ESV translates it as, I urge you. It's a, it's a form of the word for encouragement here in this verse. We could read the, the verse 22 as, I exhort you to bear with my word of exhortation. I'm encouraging you to bear with my word of encouragement. Throughout the book, we've seen this idea, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, where we read, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day. It's the same word. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, exhorting one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And now at the end of the book, when all has been said and done, the argument has been presented, he urges his readers, and that includes you, to bear with or put up with this word can be translated as endure, or as one commentator rightly puts it, listen willingly to. Having heard everything that has been preached, he urges you, he encourages you, he appeals to you, he exhorts you. Don't casually walk away and ignore what's been written. Bear with it. Or listen willingly to. It's, it's the exact opposite of chapter 5, verse 11. In chapter 5, verse 11, he wrote, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing, or sluggish, or lazy. These believers have heard the gospel, but in their laziness, They've begun, to, they've, they've begun to ignore the message. They've become sluggish in their hearing. And so he has labored to communicate the, the truths of who Christ is and his powerful work on the cross for them. He goes on in chapter 6, verses 11 and 12 to say, We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish. So you may not be lazy of hearing, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now he is exhorting you 
He's exhorting you. Don't be like that. Don't be sluggish. Don't be lazy. Don't be dull of hearing. But bear with this word of exhortation. Listen to it. Listen to it. This is the final call. This, this is what we might call the invitation. Listen to what has been said. The only way that you're not going to become sluggish and dull and lazy of hearing is if you heed the exhortation of the book. We say farewell to this preaching series, but not, not to the book. Read it and reread it and memorize it and meditate upon it and believe it and then live it. He has, with all of the, the, the power that he's been able to, to muster up, he has communicated to us that Jesus is the Messiah. He is Yahweh the Son, come in the flesh. He has perfectly obeyed God the Father, dying on the cross for the sins of his people, the perfect and final sacrifice. He is better, infinitely superior to Moses and the law. He is superior to the, the Levitical priesthood, the priests that were in Jerusalem. He mediates a new and better covenant. He brings his people, he actually brings his people to God by his blood. He anchors them to the throne of grace. He saves them to the uttermost because he ever lives to intercede for them. And he will finally bring them to a superior and infinitely better rest than Joshua brought the Israelites to. This is the good news of the gospel that has been presented to us from Hebrews 1 through Hebrews 13. But it does you no good if you don't hear and listen and heed the word of exhortation. That's why he's urged them to imitate the faith of the saints of old and warned them against the sin of apostasy throughout the book and the five warning passages. Because as marvelous as this book is, as, as, as amazing as the theology that's been presented to you has been, it does you no good if you don't listen and obey. You may have been raised in church. And you've heard this many, many times. Over and over again, you've heard the gospel. You've heard of the work of Christ on the cross for you and and you've heard of your need to trust in him as your Lord and Savior, you know these things. You, you may be able even to, to teach these things to others, but there's a subtle danger there for those of you who, who know these things up here, but don't actually believe these things here, who don't actually obey what's been written. This is especially true for those who have been raised in church I'm thinking particularly about you children and teenagers. I know my own kids have heard the gospel since they were born. We've been catechizing them forever, and, and I know that there are many, many kids here who have had the same experience. And so you've heard this time and time and time again. And, and some of you kids probably could beat some of the adults here in Bible trivia. 
But if you've never actually believed, it will do you no good. It will do you absolutely no good if you don't actually come to Christ. If you don't actually turn from your sins and follow the Lord Jesus because your hearts and lives haven't been changed. We talk about being inoculated from the gospel. It's like getting the measles vaccine. You could be around measles all day and never get measles because you've been vaccinated. Well, some of you have been around the church so long and heard the gospel message so often that it's almost as if you've been inoculated to it. It doesn't affect you. You hear the message, but it just, it just washes over you because you've heard it so often. And that's what the author is urging against here. I urge you. I beg you. Bear with this word of exhortation. And as we end this book, let me add my voice to that of the apostle here. I beg you. Given everything that we've heard, everything that we've read, everything that we've, we've learned, listen. Don't sit here and, and, and hear and then immediately forget as you're dismissed in a few minutes. Listen, believe, and obey the gospel. That's the first word of farewell given everything that we've read in the book. Heed the exhortation. The second word of farewell is cherish. Cherish the church. We read in verses 23 and 24, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy send you greetings. These verses remind us that we're dealing with real people in a real historical setting. This is not myth. This is not some clever story. These were real people. The, the apostle that was writing this letter was a real man, and he was writing it to real Christians. Again, this is not abstract. He's writing to real people who are in real danger. These greetings help remind us of that, and they, they keep us grounded in the real world as we consider this book. Uh, the first thing we should know is that Timothy has been released. Nothing is known outside of this verse about this situation. The, the word release or, or set free, it could mean that Timothy's been set free from some obligation and he's been sent on an assignment. Uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 3, writing about Paul and Barnabas. Luke says Paul and Barnabas are sent off. They're released on to a missionary journey. However, in the context of this book, it, it seems more likely that he means that Timothy's been released from jail. And again, we don't know anything about this imprisonment. As far as we know, nothing has been written about it in church history. 
However, it's likely that as, as one of Paul's closest companions that Timothy would have suffered right alongside with him in, in similar ways, Paul gets thrown in the prison, and so Timothy gets thrown in the prison too. Paul urges Timothy to, to imitate his faith, to, to follow his example, and Timothy follows his example and gets thrown into jail. As a side note, this is interesting. It's a rabbit trail, but I, I just have to mention it because I found it to be so interesting. There's an interesting note from the editors of the, the King James translation at the end of Hebrews. If you have a King James, if you've got one with you, if you've got one at home, you can, you can turn and you can see this. The editors of the King James, they put, written to the Hebrews from Italy by Timothy. It's very interesting. Where this come, comes from is beyond me. But uh, I thought it was really interesting that the King James translators so apparently the Christians of uh, the, the early 1600s had an idea that this was written by Timothy. What's important is that the author of Hebrews is showing the same kind of love and concern for Timothy that he has already encouraged all the believers to have for those who are suffering for Christ. Uh, we can go back to the beginning of chapter 13 and we can see remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. He's doing the same thing that he's exhorted the Christians to do. He also sends some general greetings. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Uh, three groups are mentioned here. All your leaders. Uh, these are the men of the past that they've been told in verse 7 to remember and whose faith they are to imitate. In verse 17, they've been told to obey and, and submit to their present leaders. He also sends greetings to all the saints, a, a greeting probably to the various house churches to whom the letter was to be circulated. And then he says those who come from Italy send greetings. And this raises the question of where is the author of this letter and to whom is he writing? And there's been two options that have been presented. The first is that he's writing from Italy, so that we can think of the author of Hebrews sitting somewhere in Italy, probably Rome, to Christians either in Asia Minor or Palestine. And he says those who are in Italy send their greetings to those outside of Italy. The other option is that perhaps messengers from Italy have come to the apostle wherever he is. He, he might be in Asia Minor. He might be in Palestine. So some Christians from these churches in Italy have come to him, and he is sending this letter to Italy, again, probably Rome, in response. And as he sends these final greetings, the Christians who are from Italy, probably from Rome, maybe expelled from Rome by the Emperor Claudius around 54 A.D., who are with the apostle, send their greetings back home. That's the position I tend to hold to, though. Ultimately, it's not something to be dogmatic about. Now, these, these verses, 23 and 24, they're easy to skip over. They're very easy to skip over. These people have been dead and gone for a very long time. There are details that we, we just don't have. We, we don't know anything about who these people are. We don't know about their, their situation, where they are. And so we, we, can, we can skip over it and say these are not important. It's not relevant. But given the context of the book, what can be, we be reminded of here? What can be, we be reminded? 
well, as we, as we see these, these greetings, as we see that, that the apostle is, is telling the church, why would he tell the church that Timothy's been released and that he's going to come? For encouragement. For encouragement. To give them hope. They, they are showing concern. They, they know that Timothy has been in a situation and now he's been released. He's been set free from it. They want to know. He sends greetings to their leaders. He sends greetings to all the Christians in the area. The, the, the people from Italy, they're sending greetings also. And what we see is that there's, there is this reminder for us of the mutual love and concern that believers ought to have for one another. They, they, they care for one another. They're not strangers. They love one another. And these greetings are a reminder of that. He's told them to remember their leaders, to imitate their faith, and to obey them or be convinced by their teaching, to submit to them. By sending greetings to their leaders, the apostle is driving those teachings home. He's told them to let brotherly love continue. That's how chapter 13 begins. Greet those saints, he now says. Have brotherly love for all the saints. Greet those saints with whom you are around. It, it, it reminds us of the importance of the local church. And he's taught them, verse 2 of chapter 13, not to neglect to show hospitality to strangers. By the Christians from Italy sending their greetings, we're reminded that they're that they are not the only Christians in the world. We need to be reminded of that also. In other words, send greetings. This person's sending you greetings. Know that this person has been set free. It reminds us, don't be a Lone Ranger Christian. No Christian is supposed to be an island. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1 states, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. There are people who have this wrong-headed view of, well, I, I love Jesus, but I don't really like being around other Christians. Or, or I, can, I can be a good Christian without going to church. Let me be blunt with you. If you claim to love Jesus, but you have little or no regard for the people for whom Jesus died, you're lying to yourself. There is no one on this planet who would ever be able to tell me, well, George, I, I really love you. I like being around you, but I really don't care for Julia or your kids. You can't separate me from my wife. You can't separate me from my kids. If you claim to love me but don't love my family, then you're an absolute villain in my eyes. To love Jesus it's to also love his bride. There are no excuses. But you, you may have been hurt by a church in the past. Some pastor has 
has probably let you down or, or said something that you disagreed with or done something that, that you haven't liked. And so you have given up on the church. I haven't given up on Jesus, but I, I just can't go back to church. Most of that time, that's just a code for I want to sleep in and have a Sunday to myself. But maybe you have legitimately been hurt by a church in the past. It happens. Don't use that as an excuse to ignore the biblical command to love the church and together with the church on the Lord's Day. Yes, church people can hurt you. Churches can hurt you. Pastors can hurt you. Jesus has told you together with the saints. And if you have pain in your past, let's talk about it. We're not a perfect church. The pastors here aren't sinless men. But let's talk. You can share your past pain with any of the elders of this church without fear of any of us demonizing you. So let's talk. But don't, don't let past pain, past hurt, keep you from, from gathering with the saints. Because Christian, you were not meant to live the Christian life alone. You need the teaching and the shepherding ministry of the leaders of the church. You need the love and accountability of the local church. You need the encouragement and example of Christians throughout history and from around the world. It's easy to get lazy about church attendance and involvement. It, it's super easy to slip in late on a Sunday morning and leave immediately after the service is over, to, to not get involved, to not get to know people. In the worst cases, it's easy to sleep in on Sundays. You, you skip one worship service, and then it's two, and then it's three, and then all of a sudden it's been six months since you've been in church. And watching online, I know people watch online, but, but watching online, it simply is not a, a, the same. It simply is not. It, it's not a, a, a good substitute for being here in the room. Now, of course, there are reasons why you may not be able to attend. Please don't come to church if you're going to give everyone the flu. There are health reasons. There are providential situations where you will be forced to miss if you have a flat tire, if the boss scheduled you to work even after you asked her not to. I understand. But if you are habitually able to come and habitually don't come, you may feel like you're still a healthy Christian, but something has gone seriously wrong. Because that's not the New Testament design. And I know I'm speaking to people who are in the room. <laughs> You're here. And most of you are here every single Sunday. I, I understand that. But this is a warning not to get lazy. And it's also a word for you to encourage those who aren't here. Who are those that you haven't seen in a while? Who are those that you've been missing? Reach out, encourage them. Exhort them to, to be here, to come back. 
Don't give up on the church. Love the church. Cherish the church. Yes, it means being around people. Yes, some of them might not be the same as you. Yes, some of them will probably annoy you. Good. Good. This isn't a social, a social club. This isn't a social club. This is the church of Jesus Christ, and we are a people who have been brought together not because we all have the same hobbies, but because we have been redeemed out of the world by the blood of the Lord Jesus, and we are his people. And Jesus redeems all kinds of people. And if you're here, and you're not a professing Christian, I'm still glad that you're here. Even if you were dragged here by your parents, I'm still glad that you're here. But I want to urge you to trust in Christ and to join the church. Don't be a perpetual visitor. If it's this church that you join, awesome. If it's some other church that you join, it's not a competition. But make a public profession of faith in Jesus. We do that through public baptism. Then find and join a church that believes and teaches the Bible and love your church. Wherever you are, love your church. If you don't cherish the weekly gathering of the saints on earth, how can you truly believe that you're fit for the eternal gathering of the saints in heaven? Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus, the perfect son of God, has sanctified his people by his blood, and he's not ashamed to call you brother. Can you look around at the people sitting in this room and feel embarrassed to be around them? Are you ashamed of your church? Jesus isn't ashamed of his church. Chapter 10, we've already looked at it, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're commanded, we're, we're, we are exhorted to, to stir up one another. Stir up one another to love and good deeds. How are we going to do that if we're never around each other? You need the church. Heed the exhortation. Cherish the church. And the final word of farewell is that last verse. Abide in grace. Grace be with all of you. This is a usual ending for a letter from Paul. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Philemon. This verse here 
in verse 25 is identical to Titus chapter 3, verse 15. With the, the, frequent, the frequency of its use, it's so easy to skim over it. Read it, but not really think about it. But this short, final benediction prayer, this is another benediction. We saw a longer benediction last week in verses 20 and 21. This is a final, short benediction. This prayer for these saints is quite appropriate for this book in particular. Remember how grace-filled this book has been. It was grace that ordained the death of Christ for sinners. Chapter 2, verse 9. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It is grace we see in chapter 4 that flows from God's throne and enables us to approach with confidence. Chapter 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's grace that strengthens us. Chapter 13, verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And so we are warned in chapter 12, verse 15, lest any of us should fail to obtain the grace of God through unbelief. As we learned last week, a benediction is more than just a wish. It's a prayer of certainty from someone authorized to speak from and for God. When the apostle prays, grace be with all of you, he means that God's grace will be with all of us. He means that God's grace will, will go with us, that God's grace will sustain us that God's grace will bring us home to his eternal rest. God has shown us immeasurable grace by sending Jesus to die for sinners. The death of the Son of God on the cross for you was all of grace. The blood shed for you that inaugurated the new covenant along with all of its benefits, the, the law written on your mind and heart, the, the, the peace that you have with God, this intimate knowledge you have of God, all of your sins forgiven, that was all of grace. The sustaining and, and preserving power that will keep you from falling and and that equips you for every good thing and causes you to persevere to the end, that is all of God's grace. Sinner, there is not a single good work you can do to earn a right standing with God. Salvation is by grace alone in Christ alone. Christian, there is not a single good work that will make you more justified before God than you are right now. Abide in God's grace. The gospel is not something that you only need to become a Christian. 
the gospel is what you need every single day to stay a Christian. The gospel is what will sustain you every single day of your life. We have a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls that holds us firmly to God's throne of grace. It's the Lord Jesus. Cling to that anchor. Cling to that anchor with with all of your might as if by letting go you will be swept away and drowned because that's exactly what will happen to you if you let go of Christ and of his grace. But as you hold on to Jesus, you can be confident that he holds on to you. And his grasp will never falter. It will never fail because it's all of grace. And when we leave this world and enter God's rest. We will join with the saints around the throne and sing, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign upon the earth. On that day we will still sing of God's grace. So don't leave. Don't fall away. Don't think that there's anything else in the world that can save you or that can satisfy you. Don't think that there's anything else that you have to do to merit God's favor. Don't think that there's anything that you can bring that will draw you closer to God than you already are through the blood of Christ. It's all of grace. From now to eternity, it's grace. Abide in that grace. Stay in that grace. Hold on to grace. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. At the beginning of this series, I remarked that if pressed, I would say that I think the most important book of the Bible is Hebrews. That evaluation hasn't changed over these last two years. Uh, Instead, I think it's been strengthened. And it's because in this book, we have seen the incomparable Christ. He is better than the angels. He is better than Moses and Joshua. He is the better high priest who has made a better sacrifice and mediates a better covenant. And he will bring us into a better rest. I hope that you've learned much from this book. 
I pray that you have grown in your love of Jesus. And so as we say farewell to this series, three final words of farewell. Heed the exhortation. Cherish the church. Abide in grace. And may God's grace be with us all. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for you have sent the Lord Jesus to redeem a people from their sins by the blood of your only begotten Son. We thank you that we have seen the superiority of Christ in the book of Hebrews. We thank you for your grace towards us. And God, I pray as we leave, I pray for those who still have never turned from their sin and trusted in Christ. Oh God, show them grace. Overcome their rebellious hearts. Open their blind eyes. Cause them to see the magnificent Savior. And may they come to him as their only hope. And God, for my brothers and sisters here, for myself, may we never lose sight of the beauty of Christ. May we love him more. May we think upon him more deeply than ever before. May we cling to him. May we obey him and serve him because we love him. May we tell others about him. God, I pray you'll build up your church. Build up your church upon the gospel of Christ. And may you be glorified in these things. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.